Corinthians chapter 10, 8 through 11. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you now to use this time to glorify your name, Lord. I pray that you would fill me afresh with your spirit, Lord. I, I don't want to be led by my own uh, feelings, but God, by your spirit. So I pray that you would use this time to exalt your name, Lord, to teach us about who you are and your word. And God, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why, good to see everyone here. Uh, I was surprised. I talked to Ron. I said, man, 4th of July weekend. I didn't think we'd see many people here today. But, you know, God knows. Put right priorities, right? Um, years and years ago when I did street evangelism, what we would do is we would take our Bibles and, and you know, back to the old school, right, when you had a paper Bible. Uh, and what we would do is we'd have your, have your big Bibles. Those were the the swords, and then you had these little pocket Bibles. Those are called the daggers, and you'd hide it in your back pocket. So you'd walk up to somebody and say, hi, you know, I was just wondering if you had some time, you know, and yeah, sure, and all of a sudden, you know, I got, I'm just wondering if you'd read it, and you whip it out, and you go, whoa, whoa, there's a Bible there, right? Where did that come from? And we used to have people read the verses, and so what we'd do is we'd invert the Bible, and we would have the verses we'd start out with Romans 3.23, and we'd have them read it. And then what we'd do is we'd have cheats on the top so that we could read it and they couldn't, and it was the next verse, okay? So that way you could chain link everything together. And one of the best ways to uh, just kind of put the gospel together to present it was called the Romans Road. And what we would do is we would just go right down through the book of Romans, and it would go from beginning to the end and clearly explain the gospel, and uh, the reason I say that is because, really, we've, bits and pieces, we have had all the parts of the Romans Road, and today we complete the Romans Road. Okay, it's not the completion, obviously, of the book of Romans, but it is the completion of the Romans Road. And we see this, that uh, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, has always and only been God's way to salvation. That's the main point. Take a look. There's the Romans Road coming up, right there. Man's problem is what? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We'd always say, what's a wage? And then he'd explain it. You know, so we'd go right down. Then God's solution in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sinner's response today is what we're talking about. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what are the results of receiving that gift of salvation? Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And finally, Romans 8, 
38 to 39. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor hallelujah nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus our Lord. That's the Romans road. And we just go right through the book of Romans because then you didn't have to flip through a bunch of pages and go back and forth, Ephesians, etc. And it was, a, it was a great, great way to just share the gospel with people because that's it, right? From beginning to end. Um, you see, God's way always from beginning of the word of God, beginning of eternity, was always going, it was always grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. But what happens is that works righteousness really was and is man's self-made, ineffectual way to salvation. That's man's way. And Paul is addressing this within the Jews. Take a look. We're going to start at verse uh, 6. What's happening here? He's transitioning. He says this, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Okay, That's what Paul is saying to these Jewish hearers of the book of Romans. And here's where it comes from. That's taken out of Leviticus 18, 2 through 5. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules if a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Well, what happened is, is that uh, the Jews misinterpreted Leviticus. It was meant to say you live a godly life. He's saying don't live like these people. Live a godly life. And uh, you will be blessed, basically. And what the Jewish uh, Pharisees, etc., they read into that. And they said you will have eternal life. That's what it means. And so we have to live a certain way, and then we'll earn our salvation. And they were misinterpreting what God's word said to them. And so they said it's about works. It's, that's why, it, it, as they said, uh, they read it as, and you shall live eternally by them. That's not what it says. And especially when you put it in a context, he's saying don't live like these heathens. Live, follow my law. And the law was to give them an idea of what it looked like to live a godly life. And so the Jewish people misinterpreted that, and that's why they said it's about, part of the reason why they said it's about your works. If your work, good works and you follow after the law, then you will have eternal life. And that was man's design, not God's. What happened is this, is that God's word shows us that Israel's works or Jewish people's works were to believe what God had revealed in the scriptures, which was, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, even in the Old Testament, and to their work was to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a look, following verses, Romans 10, 6 through 8. But the righteousness based on, based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? This is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? So those verses and these this following verses are from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. So he's, he's taking the Old Testament, he's coming back and he's saying, what does it say? 
And in John 6, 28, and they said to him, Jewish people, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me, him who he has sent. Saying, believe, that's your work. It's not, it's not the law that you're going to get saved by. Your work is to believe, to trust. That's what your work is. Don't think you're going to get salvation by your works. That's really what they were asking. He said, no, believe. It's about belief. Now, this whole ascend-descend stuff, what is that about? Right? What that is, is that is really, um, it was a common in Jewish literature, they would say that type of thing to mean something that was impossible. It's impossible. What, are we supposed to ascend and descend? What? We can't do that. And so what happened is, is that, if you remember last week, it talked about how Jesus fulfilled, Jesus was the end of the law. He fulfilled all of the law. And so what we see here is that Jesus fulfilled or was the end of the law. So righteousness by works was an attempt to do what only God could do. That's the point Paul's making. He's taking that, that section in Deuteronomy and he's, he's giving the answer. Uh, do you say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. See, in the original, obviously, it wasn't there. So Paul is explaining this. He's saying, listen, what you're asking, you're, you're, you're trying to do the impossible here. We, we understand this as a phrase, but to bring Christ down? Only God can do that. To raise Christ up, only God can do that. That's what the, uh, when it talks about um, descending, it's talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God put on flesh. He was fully God, fully man. Born of the virgin. That's what Paul is stating here. He says, you can't do that. God can only do that. Your works can't make that happen. And then raised from the dead? Who can do that? Only God. He raised Christ from the dead. And when you, when you put it in the context and you keep reading on, you can see how that makes sense. So what he's doing is he's saying, listen, righteousness, salvation, in other words, to be saved, he says, is not impossible. It's not impossible. It's impossible by works, but it's not impossible. It's within reach through faith, not works. That's Paul's point. This thing that it seems so impossible that you know you can't keep the law, and it seems like it's, there's no way. Well, guess what? It's closer than you think because God has made a way he has provided Christ, and he has built that, that way to him, and it's not about you working hard at it. It's not about you doing things. It's about you believing and trusting. That's why he says it's not far away. And, and if you go back to the, the Deuteronomy uh, reference, it's talking about, and it's not hard. So he's talking about the fact that this is by faith alone, not anything else. And what he's saying then is he's moving on and he's saying, well, what does this look like? If it's not about works, you guys misinterpreted what Moses said. You thought it was by works that you're saved, but it's not. All, the whole time, the Old Testament is pointing to grace alone through faith alone in the Messiah alone, pointing to all that. He's saying, this is what it says. So then how? What, what's the pro- what do we do? And Paul continues on and he says, saving faith involves both Belief and confession. 
take a look at God's word again. So he's going right into this from, from it's closer than you think. It's, it's there if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And we see a parallel in Philippians 3, 9 through 10. To be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's about faith. You're not going to be made righteous by following the law. It is about God imputing Christ's righteousness to you by faith in him. That's what he's saying. It's not about all these works. It's about God and the work that he has done. And then Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What Paul is saying here is you have to first have this heart belief in the resurrection. When he talks about ascending and descending, part of that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, you know what? You have to have this heart belief in the resurrection. And you know what? That is the foundational doctrine of the gospel. That's why Paul says, listen, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, if the resurrection isn't true, your faith is a waste. That's what he's saying. So you can see the pivotal point that the resurrection plays in the gospel. It's critical. So then we go back and we see here in Romans that we would what? If you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and believe in your heart, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. What does that mean? Believe in your heart. We see that it is not just a belief that is intellectual. It's a belief that affects us. It's in our heart. It's something that changes our lives is what he's talking about. It's not an intellectual assent to, okay, I believe that, that Jesus rose from the dead. All right, let's move on. He's saying, this belief is so deep-rooted, it's in your heart. It's not an intellectual thing only, but it goes beyond that. The resurrection is the basis for our hope for eternal life. The resurrection is proof that Jesus' work was acceptable to the Father. When the Father rose Christ from the dead, that all that work, Jesus' perfect life, Jesus' death on the cross, he, all of that paid the price for all who would believe, and my approval is seen through the resurrection of Christ. And he said, all that is true. And you have to not just accept that intellectually, but it goes deep into your heart. And now we have to go back to the hearers of this Romans message. What were they hearing? Because we go, oh, yeah, okay, I get that completely. If a Jewish person were to admit that Jesus rose from the dead, they were basically saying this, we were wrong to reject Jesus as Messiah. And the implications that that had on them being uh, in the community of, the, of Judaism, it would have been affected by it. You see, they looked at that and they went, ooh, if I, say, if I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, this is going to have a lot of consequences in my life. What about the Gentiles? 
If you remember in Acts chapter 17, 32, it talks about the Gentiles thought about the resurrection as foolishness. That's what they thought. So now if you're a Jewish person or a Gentile person and you have to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, for a Jewish person, you're looking at, wow, we were wrong. Jesus is the Messiah and he should be obeyed and followed. That's going to cost me in my circle of friends and stuff here. And to a Gentile, you're going to say, okay, Jesus rose from the dead, and your buddies who are Gentiles are going to say, you're nuts, that's craziness, that's foolishness. You see, they looked ahead, and, and, and you see the cost of believing that Jesus rose from the dead. There's no cost for us to believe it today. But it's foundational to our faith. And we accept it, and it's very easy for us to say, yeah, I believe that. But the cost back then was incredible. And we see this, that, and that was also the gospel that the, the uh, apostles preached about Jesus' resurrection, isn't it? Go back, look in the book of uh, Acts. They, Jesus was raised, Jesus was raised, Jesus was raised. So genuine faith, belief that God has raised Christ from the dead is the root, and confession with our mouths and our lives is always the fruit. So because you believe there's this, this reaction that, that happens naturally, this is the root, genuine faith, that God has raised him from the dead. And the fruit of that is you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And that confession isn't, again, just words. That's why I put in here that it is confession with our mouths and our lives. Remember, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, that's what he's saying here, that your heart is in love with Jesus. You believe the resurrection. And because of that, that abundance in your heart, your mouth will speak, and it will affect the way you live. That's what he's saying here, this beautiful picture. It shows us that the gospel requires men to make a decision and to take a public stand. Confess it. It's going to cost you. you, know, you can, can you imagine that Jewish person thinking, if I tell people that Jesus rose from the dead, they're going to kick me out of the church. Confess it. There's none of this private faith hiding behind the doors. Say it. Tell them. Well, there's a cost to that. Yep. Tell them. Make, it requires men to make a decision. And this is where the why in the Romans road happens. Okay, so we're just tracking down here, and now it's decision point. Will you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? And if you do, you will be saved. But what if you don't? Then you won't be saved. That was always, when I was sharing the gospel, that was always the decision point right there. And I'd say, now let me tell you, if you choose to follow God, what will happen? And then you'd always come back to that. But it says, if you will believe in your heart, and if you will confess, where do you stand? Because that was the place that the Romans road split. Believe and confess. Believe and confess. Do you realize what it says, confess here, is important? Jesus is God. Jesus is not a God. Jesus is not a Lord. 
Jesus is not a great moral teacher. That is not a compliment to Jesus. That is an insult. All right? He's not a good moral teacher. He's not a prophet. Jesus is the Lord. He is the only Lord. He is the Lord of all. Can I hear an amen? What does that mean? Over 6,000 times in the Old Testament, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, translates Yahweh, which would be the God of the Old Testament, into Lord. Okay, so again, think of it as a Jewish person, right? In the Old Testament, Yahweh, which was the name of the God of the Old Testament, was translated Lord in our New Testament, or in our present Bibles. They're saying Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Well, what does that mean? Again, it's so hard for us to get behind and understand all of this stuff. But if you confess Jesus as Lord, what you're saying is that you stand with him against culture. It's what they had to do. What about a Jewish person? What was he saying? when he confessed, Jesus is Lord. What was the cost there? What, what was happening? He was saying this, basically, that Jesus was God. The, the, the other Jews understood when you said, Jesus is Lord, or Jesus, you know, Yahweh, did, did they use that? I don't know. They knew that you were saying, Jesus is God. Are you kidding me? And that he was the Savior. You know that all those Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah coming Savior? He's the guy. And if you were a Jewish person and you said that to someone who was a, uh, not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what they heard. Are you trying to tell me that Jesus is God? He is the Messiah. He is the Savior that we have been waiting for? Can you see the cost for that Jewish person to say that? What would happen to them in their community again? That he is the one to be trusted and obeyed. And to the Gentile, what did that mean? Jesus is Lord. Lord was the highest authority. A lot of, uh, a lot of Gentiles would reference uh, um, the, em the emperor of Rome as Lord. And so if you were a Gentile and you said Jesus is Lord, you were basically saying he has the highest authority of all in the ever. So that means that you had a conflict because if Caesar told you to do something and it was contrary to what the Word of God said, you'd have to do what the Word of God said. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus has authority over Caesar. And that's the picture that we had here. Do you see the cost? You know, neither a Jewish person nor a Gentile took the word Lord lightly. Let me ask you a question. Do you? Do we? Do you take the word, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do you take that as seriously as they did? Because what we like to do is we like to say, well, some people have uh, Jesus as their Savior, but not their Lord. That's not an option. 
That's not an option in the Word of God. That's not the, it's not an option. There's no such thing as salvation apart from lordship. You can't separate the two. And here's where I'll, I'll kind of lay my cards on the table. In the New Testament, a profession of faith is not Jesus is Savior. Right? That's self-evident. The profession in the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord. That's the New Testament. If you were a believer, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's consistent. Not Jesus as Savior. Jesus is Lord. And so the salvation was in that. They understood that that was part of it. So what does it mean to say Jesus is Lord? What's the weight of that for us today? It's a confession with our mouths and our lives and our lives that Jesus is sovereign God. He's the master and king of my life. That's why I asked. I said, do we really understand the weight of the word Lord? Because this is what it entails, that he is fully God, that he is the master and king of my life. Why? He's Lord. He's my Lord. It means that we're pledging our obedience to him and our worship to him. He's Lord. He's King. He's sovereign God. It means that we're going to commit ourselves and all our resources to his will, his desires, not ours. You see the weight of the word Lord? Confess with your mouth, Lord, because that puts aside our selfishness. Why? Because we have a king, and he is our Lord, and everything we have is his. And what he wants to do with his stuff, we need to do. He is our Lord. He is king. He is sovereign over all things, including all the things in our lives. And so when we say, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, we're saying, Lord, you're my king. And as such, I am your servant, and all that I have is yours to do what you will for your glory. That's the weight of the word Lord. And I find myself falling so short of that. I think, man, God, I am always worried about Dan. And I put you secondary so many times. But we see the weight of the word Lord. That's why I asked. For the Jews and the Gentiles, that word Lord, you couldn't take it lightly. But it's easy for us today to take that word very lightly. And I, I want to change that in my own personal life. I want him to truly be my Lord and to affect all areas of my life because there's still so many pockets that I just kind of hold to myself and say, you can have this stuff, God, but this is mine. Saying, no, Dan, it's all mine. I'm your Lord, remember? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. One of the main reasons why the Jews rejected Jesus and the gospel was the fact that they thought God's salvation was exclusively for the Jews, not for anyone else. That's what they believed. They thought, no, God's God's faithfulness to us, God's promises to us is that we were his people and it's just us. 
not the Gentiles. And so the gospel comes in here and says, ooh, time out. This salvation that God has is not just for the Israelites, those who would believe. Remember, we talked about this last week, a remnant. But it's for the Gentiles, too. And that was hard for a Jewish person to hear. That's why I keep going back to that, because we hear it one way, because we're here in this time in history. But we have to understand the weight of what was being said back then. Because when we understand the weight back then, it can affect how we live today and how we respond to those very same scriptures. So for a Jewish person to hear these things, they thought, hey, you know, it's just us. But what Paul is saying here to the the Jewish hearers is this. There is not one way of salvation for the Jews, and there is another way or multiple way for the Gentiles. Paul's saying, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. There's one way, only one way, for both Jew and Gentile. It's only one way. There's not two. There's just one way. And a Jewish person to hear that, that was offensive. Are you saying that, because remember what they would do with the Gentiles? They'd say, well, you can become, uh, you can come into Judaism, but you've got to do all these things. God's saying, no, uh uh-uh. There's one way of salvation for Jew and Gentile, not multiple ways. Take a look at God's word. This is where Paul kind of ties it all together. So he's, he's gone. This is what you believe. You thought that salvation came from works. Well, that's not what the Old Testament was saying. It was saying that it was about by faith. Well, how do we, how do we embrace that faith and step, through, uh, step into that salvation? Well, here's, some, here's the process. And now he's saying, and guess what? That's not just for you guys, Jews. It's for everyone. Romans 10, 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is from Joel 2:32, And that shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. He's saying all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, all of them. It's not about Jewish people only or Gentile people only. There's only one way only one way to salvation, only one way to be made right with God, and it's through the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. It just destroys all the arguments of, well, you know, maybe it's this plus this, or maybe it's this way, and he's saying, nope, there's one way, one way, and it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the only way, and if you receive that gift of salvation through faith, then you're saved. Jew, Gentile, doesn't make any difference. And again, that was so hard for Jewish people to hear. See, sin is the universal condition of man. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The universal condition. Sin is the universal condition of man, and the remedy of that condition is justification by faith, and that universally applies. 
It universally applies. That's why the Romans wrote that takes us down this beautiful path and explains the gospel so clearly that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that has always been and will always be the only way that someone is made right with God. That is the only way. So I, I read something where somebody said, well, you know, that was, that's pretty narrow-minded. And the guy's response was, can you name any other religion where their God's where it says their God so loved the world. So when we talk about it being narrow, think about that. But God made a way, and you know what? It's not hard, is what he's saying. It's not hard. You don't have to work for it. You have to believe. It's not about doing. It's already been done. But believe, trust. It's not far off. It's not hard to do. It's right here. It's Paul's point in this section of Scripture that anyone and everyone who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus would be saved. There's no ethnic distinctions. None. And it doesn't matter how sinful your past was or is. It doesn't matter. His grace is sufficient. It can cover over it. Jesus paid the price if you'd received that gift of salvation. So there's no... Ethnic distinctives, there's no, well, only if you have this kind of a life and then you can become a Christian. There's no limit to the grace of God and what the blood of Jesus can cover. So don't think, well, I'm too bad. I'm too sinful. Well, you, you, no. God's word says, you know what? Come, everyone who comes to me, calls upon my name, will be saved. What does that mean, call upon his name? Well, the name means all of who God is. All of who God is. You call upon the name. In other words, you accept the biblical view of who God is in all of his glory, in his holiness, and in his justice. We look at all of who God is and we say, we call upon the name. I believe in the God of the Bible. And where we get off is when we decide that what we're going to do is we're not going to quite accept all those things about God and we're going to make we're going to fashion God in our own imagination. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons. We're going to fashion God in our view and we're going to just shove this other stuff away and say, no, when we call upon the name of God, we're calling upon the name. We're calling upon who God is defined in the Bible, all of who he is. Not what we like and what we don't like, and we'll just call upon the parts we like. That's what we want to believe in. What does that word saved mean? It means rescued. Rescued from judgment. What that word saved implies is this, that the person who is crying out to be saved is bringing nothing to the table. They can't do it. They're crying out. They're calling out the name of God. They're calling upon his name, all of who he is, and they're crying out to be saved because they have nothing to do. They can't add to anything. They can't do it. They're in a desperate place. The best picture I can see is Peter walking on the water. You know, and he starts sinking. And he yells, help. 
And immediately Jesus was dead. Peter couldn't do it. Peter was helpless. He had nothing in him to save him. Now, I know that wasn't a salvation uh, cry, but that's what I picture, is when we cry out to God, we call upon his name, he saves us, because we have nothing to bring to the table ourselves. Nothing at all. And that's such good news, because I know me, and I think, boy, God, how could you love someone like me? How could you be so patient with someone like me? God, how can you be so good to someone like me? Well, his goodness doesn't end there. Because in this section of scripture, it talks about the fact that God is going to uh, give, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Wow, what's that about? The result of calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, putting our trust and our hope in him, believing that the resurrection happened. What happens is that God saves us, but also it talks about him giving us his riches. And I would say this, it's more eternal than earthly, but it's both. It's both. I mean, I look at part of it as this way. I have a peace in my heart in the midst of this craziness in the world. How can I do that? Because that's part of the riches that God has given me. A peace in my heart that I'm not going to worry. I can trust in Him. But it's even greater than that because it talks about eternity. And that's why in the end of the Romans road, we talk about that. What are the results? What happens? And let's take a look at this last verse. Romans 5, 51, I read this before. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You were enemies, you're not anymore. You have peace with God. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What great news. And it doesn't end there. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither life, death nor life, nor angels, nothing will separate me from the love of God. That's the riches of his blessings that come with receiving that gift of salvation. And it is done by faith. By faith, calling out in the name of the Lord, saying, God, I'm a guilty sinner, separated from you. I have nothing to bring to the table. And I'm lost without you, Lord. So I ask that you would please forgive me. Be the Lord and Savior of my life, Lord. And I ask that you would change me cause me to honor you in all I say, do, and think. God does a miracle, saves us. And then he says, and oh, by the way, it doesn't just end there. There's forgiveness. There's justification. There's freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom from shame. And greater than all that, the sum of all the riches that God is talking about is this. Jesus Jesus. We get so caught up in the stuff that we forget it's really about Jesus, don't we? That we will be able to see him face to face, that we know him, and that we will enjoy Christ forever. That's the riches. That's the riches he's really talking about. But there's so much more. But let's keep our eyes on Christ. And that's what Paul was getting at here. He's saying, you strive and you strive. Stop, stop. It's right in front of you. It's right in front of you, and it's not too hard. 
It's about acknowledging that you need a Savior and that Christ is that Savior. And that's the gospel, the Roman road. And it always has been the same. Old Testament, New Testament, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Messiah in the Old Testament. Let's pray. Lord, there is so much packed in here, and thank you, God, for helping us to understand how the hearers of that original letter would, would understand this to mean and the cost to them. Lord, I pray for myself. Lord, I ask that you forgive me for living so much as me being the Lord. And I pray that you would work in my heart and in the hearts of your people that you are our Lord, our sweet, wonderful Lord. And would you empower us by your spirit to live in a way that would reflect that so that your name would be glorified. And all God's people said,